everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany as we continue a series in Ephesians. It's good to be home. I was speaking in California last week, the week prior, not speaking at all. I had no voice, was a little ill. Uh, but let's pray together and then we'll look at this beautiful passage out of Ephesians, very important in all of our lives. Father, thank you that as we gather within the shelter of these walls this morning, we are privileged to tune our hearts and ears to listen for your voice. And my prayer is that we would not only listen, but hear, and I hear, but take a step toward the light that is you, Christ. Toward that end, we thank you in advance for the transformation and adventure that awaits as we walk toward the light. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When my wife and I hiked through the Alps for 40 days a few years ago, every day was different, and some days it appeared as if we had choices to make, and other days no choices. One particular day, we had to get from this hut to that hut, and uh, we woke up, it was snowing, and I was underpacked for snow, underprepared for snow, but well, there was no choice. We had, to, we had to go, and my wife loved it, and I hated it, but it didn't matter. We had to go. Another day, uh, it was like 38 and raining and windy, and we had to go from the valley up to a hut. However, there was a gondola also. So you, like, you could hike up, and it would take like four hours, or you could take the gondola and then hike about a half a mile, and you'd be there in 30 minutes. And we made a choice. I won't tell you which choice we made, <laughs> uh, because you'd be ashamed of me, but I, whatever. The point is, uh, it appears at times we have no choices, and other times we do have choices. This is an illusion. Viktor Frankl, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, says we always have a choice. F the freedom to choose is the one thing that can never be taken from us. We have choices, even though it appears we don't because of things like cancer or infidelity or an accident or you've been fired or uh, you know, your spending habits keep you stuck in a job that you hate, whatever. You, f you may feel like a victim, but you have no choice. There's always a choice, always a choice. This is what we're gonna see in the text today and Ephesians, this text, long text, is nothing less than or more than Deuteronomy 30, 19 out of the Old Testament and New Testament form. It's a call for us to choose life because every day there are a thousand, thousand choices that we make. Uh, when this is over today, what are you going to do? You're going to go for a walk or sit and watch TV? When it's lunchtime, are you going to have cake or vegetables, right? You know, are you going to eat too much or not enough? Uh, when there's a hard conversation, will you have it or disengage? Uh, when something bad happens to you, will you be bitter or will you figure out how to, how to deal with the, with the situation redemptively? All of us, all the time, are making choices even when we don't realize it. So uh, what we're looking at today are kind of these two categories. Every choice is a choice between darkness and light. So we're going to look at those categories, and then we're going to see this exhortation at the end for us to move so that we're moving, always moving in our lives toward the light. So we'll look at two categories, darkness, light, and one exhortation, moving toward the light. Those are our three things that we consider together this morning, beginning with this, two categories, right? So Paul has already gone to great lengths in chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians to reveal your identity. If you're in Christ, then a bunch of stuff has been poured into you. Christ lives in you. You're adopted. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. All true. Now, in the second half, he's trying to teach us how to live into that new identity 
and kind of escape from the old identity that, that we previously held. So, so that's the situation. And, and then after articulating Paul's vision for unity, which we heard last week in chapter four, uh, we're given uh, these categories of light and darkness, or darkness and light. So let's, let's begin there. I'm gonna read about darkness first, and I begin in Ephesians chapter four, uh, verse 17. Let me just read this here. This is, how it, this is how it reads. It says, I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you, know, you walk no longer just as Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. Let's just stop right there. Darkened in their understanding. So this is Paul's articulation that we not walk as people who are darkened in our understanding and therefore as a result, continuing that text, are excluded from the life of God. If I'm darkened in my understanding, then I'm not drawing on the resources that are the life of God. And then I end up in this state articulated in the text, ignorant and hard of heart. So we'll talk about this. By, by going through, I mean, this, this category of darkness would evoke, for both Jews and Gentiles, it would evoke a great deal. And, and let me explain to you what, it, what darkness evokes. By going back to the words from uh, John regarding Jesus in John chapter 3. 3.16, God so loved the world, you know that. But then as that text goes on, there's, there's this word. It's a very powerful word. This is condemnation. Like, what, what condemns the world? Here's what condemns the world. Light has come into the world. And humanity loves darkness rather than light. It's pretty simple. Light comes, and we choose darkness. Why? Our deeds are evil. Everyone pressing evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So that's... That's the situation. It says here that in our, in, our, in our raw humanity, we have no light within ourselves. We're darkness. And in our, when we're in darkness, we're making choices that are non-redemptive, right? We're making destructive choices. And uh, it's described as darkness because of precisely this. We don't want light to shine on what we're doing in the dark because it would expose us. And, and I'm telling you this, nobody in the room wants to be exposed, and here's what I mean. Imagine coming in this morning and your name is up on the screen, Ben. Your name's up on the screen. And then your entire browser history is up on the screen. Your, like your credit card statement is up on the screen. So we know everything Ben is spending. And then, you know, we've hidden cameras all throughout the house. We know every conversation. And somehow we know every thought, Right? Like, who wants that? Anybody, anyone? Not, no one, right? Why? Because all of us have things in our lives which bring us kind of a sense of shame, and we're like this, man, I'm glad nobody knows. And, and those, are, those are called, those are called in the, in the Bible by John, those are called deeds of darkness. And they stay in the dark because we fear exposure. Now, the end of the sermon in a few minutes or many, we'll see. The end of the sermon says, uh, actually, though it's counterintuitive, let it be exposed. That's the only way you'll ever be free, and we'll get to that. But in darkness, like we fear exposure. We don't want people to know our browser history, our speaking habits, our language, our food choices, our sexual activity. We don't want, we don't want people to know to the extent that we're in darkness. Now, 
Jesus goes on to declare uh, that the, the people most stuck in darkness, in Jesus' assessment, are religious leaders. Which is kind of interesting. Matthew 15, Jesus speaking about the Pharisees, right? The religious leaders. He's speaking to the masses. And he says, hey, uh, let me warn you. Don't follow the footsteps of the Pharisees. And then he calls them this, blind guides. Which is intended by Jesus to be like humor, right? And we don't laugh because we just have heard it for so much of our lives that we don't stop to think, have you ever seen a blind guide? N no. Like if you wanted to be a guide and you applied for the job and you were blind, you would not be a guide. You don't hire a blind guide, right? Hi, I'd like to go on a hike, 1,500 foot exposure, like down the, oh, you're blind? You're the one I want. Like, no, no one does that. And so Jesus is saying, don't hire blind guides. And here's the thing, they don't look blind, they don't look like blind guides spiritually. In fact, they know their Bibles quite well. John chapter 5, verse 39. And, and, and these guys, and they're all guys, they're perpetuating a religious system that for all its proscriptive behavior, all its activity, all its pomp pompous declarations of certitude, all this, you know, outlook that gives this air of spirituality, what Jesus is saying is this whole movement is keeping people stuck in darkness, and when the Pharisees and their, and their habits, the religious leaders, when their habits are exposed to the light, they actually run for cover. And so we, we, we have to be very careful here that we understand that uh, we who know Christ well, if we aren't continuing to move into the light, we can become blind guides. And that happens. So... This is revealed further in John chapter 12. So again, this is Jesus talking about light and darkness. And this is what Jesus says. I'm quoting now from the text. The people said to Jesus, hey, we've heard that the law says that Christ remains forever, but you're saying you're going to die. Who, who is this son of man that you say must be lifted up? And Jesus says, don't you love how Jesus never answers a question directly? Like, who is the son of man? He never really actually answers the question. The, Who's the son of man? And then here's Jesus. A little while longer the light is with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Please, could I have an engineer answer the question instead? Um, uh, so J Jesus says, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And then listen, he, obvious, he who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. I have come as light, and then listen, if you believe in me, you should not abide in darkness. And I love this because Jesus isn't saying, since you don't believe in me, you will abide in darkness. Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, does anybody in the room believe in Jesus? Raise your hand. Then what's he saying? You, you who already believe, don't abide in darkness. Jesus is therefore articulating the possibility that we can know God, love God, believe God, and abide in darkness. And it happens. Often, actually. And, and abide here, the word oikodemeo in the Greek, it means to make a home. Don't make darkness your home. Spiders make darkness their home. I, I was speaking in California this week, and where I was was kind of in the middle of the forest, and every morning, when I turn on a light, 
there's a new giant spider in the middle of the bathroom floor every morning. And so it was annoying, but I go, I flip the light on, and ooh, big spider. As soon as the light is on, what does the spider do? It runs for cover somewhere, right? So then I took, you know, the phone light out, shining the light in the corner so the spider would come out again so that I could kill it, right? Because I hate those things. But the, like the spider is at home in the darkness. And here's the thing. All of us, apart from Christ, and Christ lives in us, but if Christ is not the kind of originating source of our daily decision-making, we're at home in darkness. You can be at home living two lives, you know, outwardly singing great songs and stuff and carrying a giant Bible, but people don't know that inside there's whatever there is, it's unresolved, lust or greed or fear or, sh you know, things that bring shame. So we can, we can kind of default into darkness and, th and that means we're abiding in darkness and Jesus says, don't do that because the goal is for you to be light, to shine. And, 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 and the challenge for all of us is this, we're made to shine and we have no light in ourselves. And this is, for many of us, this is the stumbling block right here in the West, in Seattle, at Bethany. This is, what do you mean I have no light in myself? I have a master's degree, man. I have an IQ of 134. I, you know, I have six figures. I have a home by the lake. I, you know, I have kids who are going to Ivy League stuff. Like, I'm in. Like, I, I, I'm light. No, that's, none of that is light. None of it's light. Light is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, justice. And so, you know, we can have it all and think that we have light. But we have no light in ourselves. The Bible is going to great lengths to teach us that all the way back to Genesis. Because when God made the earth, right, there was, there was this, he made the greater light to give in the day and the what? The lesser night to give in the night, the greater light, the sun, the lesser light, the moon, and the lesser light actually has how much light? None. The moon has no light. The moon only has light to the extent that it is a reflected light, reflected from the sun. Jesus is the sun. We are the moon. No light in ourselves. And when the earth, you know, fear, greed, shame, lust, stands between the sun and me, I cease to reflect the light. I'm living as a kind of daily lunar eclipse to the extent that I refuse to walk in the light. So God has gone to great lengths to show us we have no light in ourselves. And because we have no light in ourselves, war happens. School shootings happen. Op opioid deaths happen. Insane pushes for endless profit at the expense of environment happens. Economic disparity happens. Homelessness happens. Downsizing happens. Hatred, infidelity, addiction, suicide, homicide. Everything destructive happens. Why? Because people walk in darkness. 
And Romans 1 kind of articulates this in a summary way where the Apostle Paul says, look, everybody's seen the light. Everyone, whether you ever read a Bible or not, you've seen the light. If you're here in church, you've read a Bible, you've seen the light. If you live in the deepest, farthest part uh, away from where the gospel has ever been articulated with the text, you've still seen the light. Why? Because creation is declaring the reality and glory of God. So everything's inviting us into light. Everything. So, and yet, Romans 1 says this, though everyone has seen the light, people rejected the light, and the judgment of rejecting the light is this, Romans 1, there, if you don't want to walk in the light, here's God's judgment. Fine, walk in the darkness. In other words, the judgment is God gives us exactly what we want, and if I don't want the light, I'm stuck in darkness. And then, and then darkness overtakes my understanding, Romans 1. And in, the dark, in, a, in a darkened heart, things kind of grow in the middle of the dark that are destructive, right? Lust grows in the dark. Fear grows in the dark. Shame grows in the dark. Bitterness, greed, anger, hatred, violence. Where does that stuff grow? In the dark. And, and here's the deal. Darkness is real and, and, and pervasive. And it's in the human heart to choose darkness. Are you depressed yet? I hope so. Because I'm trying to motivate you to move away from darkness. So now we get on to the good stuff, the light. Second thing, the light. One author writes regarding creation, the light was a prerequisite for all life upon the earth. As long as night had shrouded the world, there was nothing on the earth but desolation and death. Nothing could live where the earth was enveloped in darkness. In the outer cold space, there was nothing but death and then, you know this, the very first word that God speaks to set the cosmos into motion is what? And God said, let there be Bibles. No, oh, wait, no. And God said, remember, let there be light. Because nothing lives without light. Nothing. So then, once there's light, grass begins to grow, trees in the forest, fish in the ocean, birds in the air, beasts in the field, humanity... But the prerequisite for all life, and I think I'm speaking poetically because there's a biologist in the room, but I'm going to say all, the prerequisite for all life is light. Is that true? Yeah. Good. <laughs> Don't you love that I say it and then ask confirmation? <laughs> and so everything needs light, and the beauty is this, God's given us light. Isn't that awesome? We need light to live. God gives us light. And then even in Exodus chapter 13, uh, when Israel is moving from slavery to freedom, uh, even at night, God guides with light. So there's a, there's a fire at night to guide. And then in Numbers 9, God says, when the fire moves, you move. And if the fire doesn't move, then you stay. And then, you know, because we're slow in the uptake, God says it over and over again in different ways. If the fire doesn't move for two days, then how long should you stay? Two days. If the fire stays a month, how long should you stay? See, you're just like Israel. How long should you stay? Yeah, right. If the fire moves tonight, should you move? Oh, you got it. Yeah. This is what God does. Why? Because our, our tendency as people of darkness isn't to move toward the light. It's to run away from the light. That's why when Adam sinned, the first thing he did was he ran like a spider and hid. Right? It's in us. So we're led by the light. That's good news. Exhorted to follow the light. 
And then when we come to Christ in John chapter 1, verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In Christ was life and his life, Christ's life, was the, the definite article, the light of all mankind. Christ is light. In other words, all goodness, all creativity, all justice, all beauty, all hope, all healing, all life comes from one light source, Christ. And, and, and so then, beautiful, the light shines in the darkness, and I, boy, this is powerful. The darkness cannot overcome it. This is a huge principle of hope. Darkness can never triumph over light. Does this make sense? I mean, it makes physical sense. If darkness were personified right now and said, you know, I think I'm just going to come in the room and, 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 you know, overshadow the light. It can't do it. Because the only way darkness can overcome light is by destroying the light. Hence, the crucifixion of Jesus. Hence, six hours of darkness. Hence, what happens when we shut our hearts and minds off to the light of Christ. We end up in darkness only by pushing the light out. Because light always wins. So, the point there would be the tiniest speck of light is where we must focus. In a world of vast darkness, every night on the news, vast darkness, our own human heart, vast darkness, unsolved problems, follow the light. We did a night hike when we ran our six-week wilderness Bible school, uh, and we'd take people out on always new moon night. We'd check the schedule. And we'd wake everybody up at 1.30 in the morning and they didn't know this was coming. And we'd say, time for a hike, right? Pack up your stuff. So they pack their stuff up and I go, okay, now before we leave, everybody see how dark it is, hand over your flashlights. People are terrified at that moment. Like they hand over the lights. And then in the darkness, I preach on John 1 uh, about Jesus being the light of the world and light, you know, uh, has always triumphed over darkness. And I say, okay, now we're gonna hike out and we're, you know, we're on this trail right by the White River and it's about a, you know, 1,500 foot drop down to the river. The trail's about a foot and a half wide. Um, have fun. Everybody's like, no, we don't wanna go. It's too dark. Oh no, I forgot. Here, and then we give everybody a chem light. Do you know those little sticks that, then you break it and it starts glowing? About a half a candle power's worth of light or something. And we tie one on each backpack so that if, if you're in front of me, suddenly you're my best friend in the world, and I'm following the light. I'm following the light. Why? Because you alone can show me the way to avoid that thing, that precipice. And so I'm fo I follow the light all the way out, and I've never been more happy in my life to see sunrise. Never. And then everybody goes home. They're back at our chalet. And they say, now write me a little essay on uh, light and darkness based on Jesus' teaching in John 1, best essays I've ever read. Why? Because it wasn't a Sunday school class, or it actually was, but it wasn't just in a, in a classroom, it was in God's classroom. Darkness and light and light. Oh, I learned, finally I get it, Richard. Christ is a light, I need to follow Christ. I wish I could take all of you right now on this hike, but I can't. So I tell you the story. Come to the light, become light, and you will shine. You will shine as people of hope. 
Because in the end, darkness can never overcome light. As long as there's light, light quenches darkness. And Christ comes then, of course, we know, and he self-identifies, John chapter nine, I'm, the, I'm what? I'm the light of the world. And then, interestingly, Christ as the light of the world says to his disciples, uh, now he turns, he turns the tail, you, you are what? You're the light of the world. How can you be the light of the world if Christ is the light of the world? Well, because Christ, the light of the world, having received the light of God the Creator, God the Father, Christ now as the light of the world is, is, is dead, resurrected, and now that light dwells where? Within you. So you are nothing less than the presence of Christ in the midst of a dark world. That's who you are. You may not want to be that. You may not feel like you are that. I don't feel like I'm that half the time. But that's the truth of it, right? This is your identity. You're the light of the world. Therefore, what? Let your light shine. Let it shine. Don't hide the light. So that men may see your good deeds and glorify the sun. Because, hello, you're the moon. So let your light shine. Well, how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. You need to move from darkness to light. And so now, if you're taking notes, and even if you're not, I'm going to ask you to write these down. There's five ways to move. It's very practical. I need, to, I need to move from the old, first of all, number one, move from the old self to the new. Move from falsehood to truth. Move uh, uh, in whatever. There's a third one. You'll get to it. Move from immorality to uh, self-giving. And move from darkness to light. So there are these five things. Let's watch this. Move from the old self to the new. Chapter 4, verses 20 to 23. So you have a new self, a new identity. And, and we're told in this text that we put on this new identity through the renewing of our mind. Put on the, put on the new self, lay aside the old self, which is corrupted, and be renewed in your mind to put on the new self. In other words, when you wake up in the morning, the, the way we identify, but in terms of identity, isn't I'm lust-filled sinner. The way we, we wake up in the morning and we say, I'm the light of Christ today as I go into the world. Lord Jesus, I'm putting on my new identity. So the, the, my mind is being renewed. I'm beginning to think about who I am the way God thinks about me. Do you see? So we want to lay aside the old self because the old self is continually, this is the text, continually being corrupted by lust and deceit. It'll always take me down a hole. Second, I need to lay aside falsehood and move toward truth. And, and this means at times, according to this text, 425, this means at times to move toward truth means I'm going to be angry at times. The text here uh, Paul says, hey, be angry, yet don't sin. But it's an exhortation. If I'm moving toward truth, I, there will, there's times when I will be angry at deception, angry at oppression, angry at slavery, angry at domestic violence, angry at human trafficking, angry in a, in a, in a relationship unreconciled, anger. And, and God says here, be angry, but don't sin. In other words, don't be, don't be angry in a way that erupts in violence and destructive behavior, but be angry. there's a time to be angry. So God isn't calling us to a life without anger. God is calling us actually to a life of truth-telling and challenging lies. 
and confronting powers, but never in a violent way. Look at Martin Luther King. Look at, uh, look at uh, different movements throughout history that were angry over injustice but didn't resort to violence as a response to anger because you don't overcome violence with violence. You overcome violence with peace. You overcome darkness with light. Be angry, but don't sin. So I need to move from falsehood to truth. This is hard for some of us in the room. We're either too quick to confront because we... We're overly angry, or we're terrified of confrontation. Neither are good. So, lay aside the old self, move to the new. Lay aside falsehood, move to truth. And then, um, chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, move from bitterness to forgiveness. In other words, it says here, forgive as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. This is how we're taught to pray, Right? When we pray that, what's called the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us our trespasses. And Jesus didn't teach us to pray that way. This is how he taught me to pray. Lord, forgive my faults in the same manner in which I forgive your faults. Do I really want to pray that prayer? That is, by praying that prayer, I'm brought to the foot, of the, Christ, uh, the foot of the cross every time I pray it. Why? Because I have to think about every relationship. And if I'm holding bitterness rather than moving from bitterness to forgiveness, then my own capacity to live in the light is compromised. So every time someone has wronged me, <clears throat> I need to forgive because every time I pray for forgiveness from God the Father, I receive forgiveness in the same manner in which I, in which I give forgiveness. This is huge. I need to move from bitterness to forgiveness. Um, and then I need to move from immorality and greed to being a self-giving person who's, who's, who loves. Therefore, uh, chapter five, verse one, therefore be imitators of God, walk in love, uh, and, and don't let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you, because these are from darkness. Uh, so, some of us in the room maybe are dealing with sexual immorality. In other words, uh, beyond the scope of this sermon, but has been taught many times here, sex belongs uh, in the covenant of marriage because this is God's design for our sexuality. A covenant has an oath and an oath and a sign, and the sign in Genesis chapter 2 is sexual intimacy, becoming one flesh. And so to the extent that my my sexual activities are outside of that, that's an area that's darkness. So I need to move from uh, immorality to actual what does real love look like? How do I hold my sexuality in a loving manner? But he doesn't just name sexual immorality, he also names greed, interestingly. And he says I need to move from greed to self-giving love. And many of us in the room have a tendency to be self-righteous about sexual morality Maybe because we feel as if we have that wired, whether we do or not is a different story. But we get, if we're self-righteous about sexual immorality, it's overwhelmingly easy to be uh, blind to greed in our culture. Easy to be blind to greed. Why is it easy to be blind to greed in our culture? Because we're so wealthy. And because we're all, and again I speak poetically, but because we're all relatively wealthy, it's easy uh, to miss our addiction to stuff. 
houses in 1950 in America are, they had less square footage than a garage does today in a house built in 1995. So like we've, like we've moved, but we've moved toward accumulation. Do you understand? Uh, I heard some guy, those investment people on TV, I don't know the guy's name, and he's saying, you really want to make a killing, you know, here's what you got to invest in, Store, like storage sheds. Those, you know, those, you drive by and there's a big sign, hey, store your junk here. That's not a real one, but so, they're all saying that. That's what they all say. <laughs> hey, we got plenty of room here for the stuff that you have to own, but you'll never see again, right? Come, buy this stuff. You know, hey, maybe we need to move. Because even if I just held a garage sale and sold that stuff, a refugee family could be resettled. A kid could go to camp. There could be another uh, person enjoying clean water and access to education in some part of the world. Got to move. And here's the last one. Got to move from darkness to light. Got to move from darkness to light. Uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 14 and I'm just going to key in on a phrase here for the sake of time. For you were once darkness. That's your old identity. Now you are light. Therefore, if you're light, live as children of the light. And then, here's where everything gets kind of counterintuitive. It says, have nothing to do with deeds of darkness, verse 11, but expose them. And then skip to verse 13. Why expose things? Here's why. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is brought into the light, hear the, hear the language. Everything that's brought into the light becomes light. Isn't that amazing? It becomes light. So the thing that was in me was darkness. Uh, I'm not like a spider to continue to hide in it and wallow in it, but I have to bring that thing out of the light and say, this is like I've been living here in this and I want to move. Like I grew up in a, in a family where hard conversations were impossible. I can't remember a single good one. And so, so confrontation has always been incredibly difficult for me. It's been hard for me to be redemptively angry. Very hard. And then I had to bring it to the light and go, you know what? This is a thing for me. But here's the good news. When you bring it into the light, it be, then it becomes a part of your transforming story and becomes a part of your redemptive story and actually can become a strength in your life. The very thing that was hidden, when you bring it in the light, God transforms it and uses it for good. That's the gospel. So why are we continuing to behave like spiders when God is inviting us to take our lust, our shame, our fear, our greed, and move it into the light? That's what we're called to do. And that's what we'll do today as we close. You know when you move like from one town to another or from one house to another, the hardest part of moving is the last 5% of the stuff. You all know that, right? You, like in a day, you've gotten out 95% of the stuff and you go, almost done. And then a week later, you're still fiddling with all these little things and you go, what is this? That's the, that's the hard stuff, right? And here's why I share that. Many of you in the room already know Christ. But I'm telling you this, I know it, we're all called to move. If you're done moving, uh, it's because you're perfect. And that means you're dead, and we need to haul you out of here. 
So like if, you, if you're done moving, fine, but you're not, you shouldn't be done moving. God wants all of us to continually be moving into the light, hauling stuff out of the darkness into the light. And so this morning, for response, I'm going to ask you to like, come forward and write anonymously. I'm moving from the darkness of whatever to the light of this. What is it for you? How is God speaking to you this morning? I'm moving from uh, the darkness of self-righteousness to the light of humility. I'm moving from the darkness of shame to the light of forgiveness. I'm moving from the, from the darkness of anger to the light of, of patience. I gotta move. And we don't have to move everything in a day. No one does. We just have to keep moving. Keep moving. And so uh, uh, Graham's gonna come and, and lead us in worship here. And we're going to respond in this way. And I'm going to invite you to come forward. And the reason I invite you to come forward and write isn't because it makes your confession more holy, but it does make your confession more communal. And you see, here's the thing. Even when you move physically, nobody moves alone. You need help. By your coming forward and naming your issue and reading others, it helps others move also. So let's pray and then move. Father, thank you for these moments. We commit now to you a response. We pray, Father, that you'd give us, each of us, the courage to move as we name issues that are in the dark, move us into the light, and thank you for all that awaits as we follow you. Pray in Christ's name, amen. These books are-